like to read with you tonight from the first chapter of the book of Malachi. I want to read the entire chapter there. It's not too long of a reading. And it'll introduce an idea that we're going to study for just a few minutes this evening. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of the wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name, and you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame or the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor, will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered, offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed it, it saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lamb of the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. This perhaps is a very amazing reading for the society in which we live, for the religious people in the world in which you and I live today. There are a great many people that we would say today that worshiping God is a wonderful thing and a great thing. And any way that you choose to do that, any way that you choose to offer that to God must surely be acceptable to God because he is receiving praise from his creation. But of course, this chapter reveals the fact that there are times when worship is wrong. There are times in the worship that man offers to God not only is not acceptable to God, but is indeed contrary to his will. Very briefly this evening, I want to talk to you about this idea. From the beginning of time, the scripture reveals to us that God had always desired worship. It was he who first taught man the principles and the actions of acceptable worship. In Hebrews 11 and verse 4, the scripture says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God's saint testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Undoubtedly, it was God who had outlined for Cain and Abel and perhaps Adam too what worship was and what acceptable worship would be. Therefore, the scripture teaches us that they could, by faith, offer unto God that which is acceptable to him. 
In the Old Testament, the list of men who worshiped God is a relative who's who of the Bible. Men such as Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, Saul, David, Elijah, and a great many others worshiped God and gave him the glory and the praise that he deserved. When I begin to read the story of the Old Testament, I find that worship was the central theme throughout that great work. Noah illustrated the urgency of worship when he left the ark and immediately built an altar. Genesis 8 and verse 18 says, And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth on the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. While others perhaps might have left the ark and explored this new world or busied themselves making provisions for themselves, we find that it was Noah who would first worship God. Yes, there is a sense of urgency that you and I must have today in worshiping God. I, like Brother Terry, echo the sentiment of hearing people from time to time who want to give some lame excuses for why they can't come to church, why they can't be at church, why they can't be there, or why they show up late. We've got a sickness across the brotherhood. We've got a plague, plague like this at home. We've got families that come skirting into church on Sunday morning when we're about three songs deep in the singing. They come walking in just like they've got good sense, plop down in front of us and act like everything's all right. Yet there's a problem. No urgency. They don't feel an urgency to be there on time. They don't feel an urgency to get there and to be able to take part in services, some of these men. I don't mind telling you. There's brethren at home who absolutely get hacked off about this because we've got some men there sometimes who have to lead two or three songs and lead a prayer because some of these lollygaggers don't show up until we're two or three songs deep into the church service. What's the problem? No urgency. No urgency. Yet these same people hold a job. They don't have any problem getting work by 8 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, but they can't get to church by 10.30 on Sunday morning. What's the problem? Oh, urgency. Let me tell you the first thing that Noah did when he fell off that ark. He built him and I a place to offer sacrifices to God. Secondly, I should note this as too. These Old Testament characters reveal to us the great sacrifice that must be paid in worship. 2 Samuel 24 and verse 21, the scripture tells us about David who, who displayed the fact that worship should cost us something. When the scripture says, and Arana said, Wherefore is my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arana said unto David, Let my Lord the king take and offer what seemeth good unto him. Behold, there be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other in instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arana as a king give unto the king. And Arana said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Arana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which has cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord were entreated, pardon me, so the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. I find this to be a beautiful and amazing story. When David begins to lay his case out before Arana, he wants to help. And he says, sure, you can have it. Take the threshing floor and all the instruments that go with these oxen and you have offered to God whatever is acceptable to God. It's yours. David said, 
can't do that. Can't do that. I'm not going to offer to God that which has cost me nothing. Should never forget some years ago, a good friend of mine was back east up in the hill country preaching, and a little Jake Leg preacher showed up over there, and he come walking in, he listened to uh, the fellow preach, and after services he comes flitting by there with his chin up in the air. He shook his hand and he said, well, if I don't have anything better to do, I'll come back. Didn't come back. Rest of the service. Didn't come back. You know, for some people today, that's their attitude about worship. You know, I'll go to church if I don't have something better to do. I'll go to church if I don't have something more pressing on my mind. I'll go to church if something don't come up. In the Old Testament, we find that there was a great sense of sacrifice that went with worship. It cost them something. And you know, today, I think you and I need to embody that. There needs to be a sense of sacrifice in our lives when it comes to worshiping God. It should cost you something. It should cost you something. If you're going to be there to take part in services, put something into it. Learn how to sing. You know, I tell brethren all the time, I know brethren who don't, like singing too well, you know. They talk about singing. We have singings at home at least twice a month, sometimes more than that. And I know brethren who say, well, it's just a singing. Well, in Paris, Texas, it's not just a singing. It's a worship service. We offer an invitation. We believe that in singing, you teach and admonish one another. You can convict men of their sins by the words and songs. And so we have a worship service twice a month where we just sing. And I know brethren from time to time say, well, it's just a singing. Oh, it's not. We're blending our voices together to sing praises to God. So let me encourage you, brethren, get good at it. Put your heart into it. Take a songbook home and practice a little bit. Get to know these songs. Learn these songs. If you're a young man who wants to take part in services, or if you're an old man who wants to take part in services, learn how to lead singing. Learn how to pray. Spend some time practicing. I should never forget a story I read some years ago about a preacher who went to hold a meeting. He's way back yonder in the 1800s. He went to a denominational church to hold a meeting, and he, he walked in there, and on the wall there was a box that said contribution. Had a slot in the top of it. So he walked over there, fished around in his pocket, and he pulled out a coin, and he dropped it in the box. Went ahead and preached for two, three, four weeks, you know. Got to the end of the, serve, uh, end of the meeting, and the elders come by, and they said, all right, preacher, we're going to give you everything that's in the contribution box. Just take your pick. So they walked over there with him, and he pulled that box off the wall. He opened the top, and he turned it over. And his coin fell out in his hand. They looked at him. He looked at them and smiled and said, Well, if I'd put more in, I'd have gotten more out of it. And, you know, really, that's the way worship service is. You're not satisfied with worship service? Put something into it. Make some sacrifice. Put some work into it. Put some effort into it. Elijah of old revealed the power and the might of God when he built an altar and prayed to God who rained down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice with the altar. 1 Kings 18 and verse 37 says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, that thou hast turned their, turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. 
And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This illustrates the fact, of course, that worship is centered around God. Tonight, my friends, we need to understand that what we do here is sacred, not because we enjoy it. It's sacred, not because we're good at it. It's sacred, not because it's become a practice of ours. It's sacred today because it is centered around God. We need to understand today that worship is wrong when it's centered around man, but it is right when it's centered around God. What we come here to do tonight is to worship the God of heaven. What we've come here to do each service is to ascribe glory and honor and praise to the God of heaven. That's what we're doing here tonight. It's what we do here when we gather together to worship God. We are here tonight to give him the praise, the glory, and the honor that is his. In Exodus 32 and verse 1, the scripture says, And when the people saw... And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto them, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. The Bible tells us that they had created gods to worship there. But in Exodus 32 and verse 7, the scripture says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down. For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. These Israelites had worshipped and devised something to worship in the wilderness that was not acceptable to God because that worship was not centered around him. And the result was, the scripture teaches us, that they would be punished for it. You see, tonight, my friends, worship originated with God, as we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 4. And so today we learn this very singular fact. Worship today is outlined by God. Worship today is centered around God. And scriptural worship results in a person being righteous because they've obeyed the word of God. The Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse 23, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Listen, my friends, tonight. The reason that worship is sacred is because we are here to worship God. You know, in the world in which we live today, man has tried to better worship, I guess you might say, to enhance worship. And they tell us today, you know, we need to include and incorporate in worship things that are meaningful. We need ways to make worship more meaningful. Now, in the denominational world, that means all kinds of things, you know. A fellow told me one time about that. I was living in North Arkansas. And uh, he was telling me about how we need to include things that are more meaningful. And I thought about that a minute or two. I'd been hearing this for a while. And I said, you know, you're right. You're exactly right. At that time, I had a pack of eagles. I'm telling you folks, they'd run a hole in the wind. When I opened the box and turned them dogs out, all a rabbit had to do was hear Casey hit the ground, and they found a hole. And so I told that fellow, I said, listen, you know what we ought to have? 
We ought to have service up here at the Wolfley Hole so we can listen to my beagles run while we're having worship services. He looked at me like I had a third eyeball. He looked at me like that's the most ridiculous thing he ever heard in his life. And I said, you're absolutely right, because I'm going to tell you something. When man tries to make worship more meaningful, he fails to understand that those acts are subjective. What is more meaningful for you may destroy worship for me. And what is worship, what is meaningful for me may destroy worship for you. Now, among us, we've tried to do other things. We've shuffled worship service like a deck of cards. You know, we put communion first. Or we have songs all around communion. I went one place a few years ago, and during the communion service, somebody got up and turned all the lights off except the lights in the front of the building. I guess that was supposed to make it more meaningful, more spiritual. The problem they had that they didn't realize is I'd been working nights for the last six days pulling 12 and 14-hour shifts, and that whole church service, every time somebody led a prayer, I was afraid to close my eyes because I was afraid I wouldn't get, I'd go way past the amen. And when they flipped the lights off, there was a pretty good chance I was going to wreck the whole communion service with some pretty good snoring. You see, the problem with trying to make worship more meaningful is the fact that it's subjective. And while those things may enhance worship for you, they destroy worship for me. And so what we simply need to do is to do what the Bible says as the Bible says. Singing today that is tuned simply for human pleasure. You know, today I hear people from time to time who talk about praise and worship songs and praise and worship groups that are supposed to help the church or help the singing be more beautiful, dedicated groups and dedicated songs that are going to praise God we want to make worship more meaningful. You know, I went to a place one time and held a meeting, and I noticed there was just uh, two men, two or three, I think there was three men actually, that led all the singing. Houseful of people, three men led all the singing all week long. And finally I asked one of them, I said, well, why? Why, have y'all not taught these other fellas how to lead a song? And they said, well, they can lead songs, but they're just not very good at it. The rest of the conversation was pretty tense. Let me tell you something. That song leader that gets up here and leads Shall We Gather at the River or Amazing Grace every service or every other service, he may not be doing the best that you can do, but he may be doing the best that he can do. Now I get my hackles up about that one, brethren. How dare we rob a man of doing the best he can do in the kingdom by telling him to sit down and be quiet. He's not good enough. Now maybe he does fumble and stumble. Maybe he does get up there and try to lead a prayer and he stammers and stutters and kind of forgets where he's at. Maybe he's maxed out on his potential. Maybe he can't do as good as you can do. Maybe he's not doing the best that you can do, but he's doing the best that he can do. And his worship is just as acceptable to God as yours. And what we need to understand today is worship is not centered around man. It's centered around God. Preaching today that's filled with quotable quotes and funny stories. I like funny stories. And I like to tell funny stories. You know, I'm not some of these preachers you've heard during this meeting. They read 
these poems and they read stories and they find illustrations. I ain't no reader. If I'm going to use an illustration, it's probably something I stumble into. And most of the time, it's something I stumble into ignorantly. And half the time, I find it funny, so I hope you find it funny. But you know, a sermon is just filled with stories and quotable quotes and the news out of the day or the paper or poems. Really not much good unless there's some truth of God's word preached in there, put in there. You know what we try to do? We try to enhance worship. Audience participation that's planned and carefully executed. We see it in the denominations where one man speaks and the audience answers. One man sings and the audience sings along. All in an effort to stir up, sew up our emotions. Listen, friends, worship's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. We've come here to worship the almighty God of heaven. Talked to a young lady the other night who's cast off the faith. She said, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. What's the point in being there? The point in being there is to make sure you get the motions right. Because you're here to worship God. Put more into it, you'll get more out of it. But above all, God should receive the glory. How are things for you tonight? You're not a Christian? Come join us today. Come be a part of an immovable kingdom. Come be a part of the eternal kingdom of Christ. A kingdom of people who worship God in spirit and in truth. A kingdom of people who offer to the Lord acceptable worship. A kingdom of people today who are characterized by worshiping and praising God just as He has ordained. And in that, He receives the glory and the honor that he is due. You believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Why not tonight repent of your sins? Why not confess you believe Christ is the Son of God? And tonight, why not be baptized for the remission of your sins? We beg you come while we stand and sing.